0: Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a nonprofit organization that helps people who are struggling with their STI diagnosis to get any of the support they need we connect people to support communities mental health professionals and on top of that we also uplift the voices of sexuality educators this episode we get a two for one special while Veronica is a sex educator and the BDSM kink community she is also a be positive i would like for us to be able to just free flow this from beginning to end starting with um what it is that you do right now
1: i'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur so i like to go many ways with my endeavors it's just the way that i express myself and how i live and embody my core values of like freedom and joy so, I am a multi passionate entrepreneur, which means that I do. I actually have two businesses. I one, yes, help beginners explore kink and BDSM in a really fun, easy, and accessible way. And then my other business, I actually whip business backends into shape because I'm a business operations consultant. So, I help businesses be really organized, systematized, and efficient so that they can do what they do best without being dragged down or tied down, so to speak. Oh, gosh. I can do BDSM puns all day. Please. Now that you've got me started, they're just going to flow.
0: <laughs> oh. You think you can show me the ropes?
1: Oh, um, we need, like, the sound effect. The symbol sound <laughs> effect. You'll add that in the special
0: effect. We can do that. <laughs> it's interesting. Like, those two things, well, I guess they go together.
1: They actually go together so well. It seems so opposite, but... So many times do I take what I teach in my kink and BDSM classes and apply that towards systems because like a lot of people learn to set boundaries, hard and soft limits in kink, but they don't know how to set boundaries for other places in their lives, specifically their businesses, especially if you're an entrepreneur, it's like you're working all the time, which I get it, but it's like little things can be brought over from the kink side to the system side. And then... On the flip side, I teach kink in the way that I teach systems. It's very, very structured, very, very, like, think of me as your kinky tour guide kind of thing, because especially when you're new to something, especially when something's new and unknown, you need railings, you need to feel secure before you can kind of just start flying by yourself. So it, it goes both ways, and I love the crossover between both businesses because a lot of the Women entrepreneurs that I work with are like powerhouses. Naturally, take charge. Women, and they're asking me about kink. They're like, "So you're the only person I feel comfortable with?" Like, I don't know how this happened, but I seem to be people's go-tos for when they have to tell people about something sexual, but there's nobody they can tell. Like when people get a, uh, what it's called a V VCH or yeah, a vertical clitoris hood piercing, like. I've had three people come to me in the last month going, I have to tell somebody
0: this, but I don't know who to tell except for you, and I'm so excited, and this is what happened to me. I feel so
1: empowered. Yeah,
0: I was (laughs) going to say, you're like the only person I think that that may be around them who gets excited for them.
1: do the system side they're like hey i think i can run a business or i think i want to run a business because i have this idea so the crossover between both is absolutely beautiful because a lot of these people i've talked to they're like i don't think i have the chops for this or i was told i would not be good enough to be a business owner but it seems like i can be what do you think
0: It sounds to me like you found this balance and um, this could be a misconception, but can you confirm or uh, elaborate a little bit more to me on like a business powerhouse person who has to be this certain kind of way for their business, like strong willed and um, essentially like have dominant traits. Is there balance like in the bedroom, they're really submissive or something like that?
1: I see people from all over the spectrum. So I agree with what you said in terms of like there are people out there who are really, really dominant, really, really type A in their businesses or in other parts of their life. But possibly sexually or in the bedroom in the kink side, they don't want to be in charge. It's like they're it's like a time for them to veg out in a way they can let go of the need to lead let go of the need to make decisions temporarily and then there are women who are dominant in their business or in their life and then further dominant in the bedroom so there's like so many so many different types of ways to be happy and for me personally I've always found that it wasn't I needed to stop being dominant because even though I am in a DS relationship so a dom-sub relationship Actually, I'm in a master slave relationship, which is like one step deeper. We'll get there. But I'm still to me dominant because I have this belief that in order to surrender and to trust my partner that much, I have to be in the utmost control of myself. I have to feel like I am powerful, otherwise that trust really really wavers. So, that's just my personal take. Like your your mileage may vary. Your mileage actually should vary because you are different than
0: me. An accurate statement would just be that it's really about letting go, I guess, like letting go of any need to have to always be a certain kind of way. And you just surrender into what naturally comes. Well, what comes natural to you?
1: That's a very beautiful way of putting it, because no matter if you're dominant in the bedroom and out the bedroom or you flip, so long as you are authentic to yourself, that's all that matters.
0: Now talk to me about this dominant sub relationship first so that we can get like a, a template understanding. I want people to understand this from the kink BDSM terminology. Cause this is new to me. This is the first I've heard master slave <laughs> relationship. So I'm like, uh, is it yes, safe?
1: So that can get pretty charged, especially for people of color. So I'm Chinese, so I I've heard so much about my culture being enslaved to another right so and as a person of color yourself you can definitely understand that so this is a very charged topic for some people but um, i'll dive into it but because it's more of a mindset thing but we'll 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 surface up to the the top first we'll talk about dominance and submission so dominance and submission is a subset of bdsm and i have to add like a little asterisk because given that kink and bdsm to me is like the wild wild west where Anything you want can happen. And there are so many different ways to interpret BDSM that one person's version of kink is different from another person's version of kink. Like to me as an educator, I have to like really separate things into categories because people who are beginners need to know like the definitions and need to know what stands for what. Because sometimes BDSM is a catch all phrase that people use for kink. And to me, I teach BDSM in the sense that in the way that the acronym was created, which
0: is... Oh, wait, wait. I think I know it. It's bondage, dominance, (laughs) submission, and uh, masochism?
1: Close. You're very close. (laughs) So the B and D stands for bondage and discipline. And then the DS stands for dominance and submission. And the S and M stands for sadism and masochism. So there's quite a few... Roles within those four letters, but so that doesn't take in, into account like fetishes or like if people are interested in animal play, like when they become an animal. So my focus on BDSM is specifically those phrases. But like I said, people will take will use BDSM as like a catch all phrase, and I'm just like, well, yes, you're feel feel free to use that for yourself. But when I come at it and teach, it has to be very specific and separate because otherwise people are going to get confused because they're beginners doing their research. That's my audience.
0: Yeah. All right. With your relationship in particular, can we use this as kind of an example to walk us through an aspect of BDSM?
1: Absolutely. Especially given that people are new to this, the people that I touch and not touch, but like, you know, I reach out to. Do we need to snap? uh,
0: Nah,
1: (laughs) we're good. So (laughs) snapping is my way of editing out footage when I record YouTube videos, but we can just keep this rolling. I'm good. I like it. But uh, in terms of experience, not only does the education come from like a very technical standpoint, like how to tie somebody up in a way that's safe, but So much storytelling happens, so much experience happens, so my relationship is almost pretty much an open book for the sake of transparency and education. So I'm fine with it, my partner consents to it, so we're good. So you can ask me whatever you want.
0: Let's start with how you got into this space.
1: So I've always known that I've been kinky. I knew when I was four years old that I was kinky because I watched Aladdin, so Disney's Aladdin for the first time, and... I was completely obsessed over when Jasmine became Red Jasmine. You know, she was no longer Blue Jasmine. She was the one captured, taken hostage by Jafar, shackled, and thrown in an hourglass. So I'm like, I want that. I'm good. I don't need a tiger. I don't need a Prince Charming. I don't need a magic carpet. I want what Jafar gave her. And then afterwards, I also remember watching... Return of the Jedi, where Princess Leia becomes Jabba the Hutt's slave. So it's like, Disney made me realize I was kinky. How's that? All right. (laughs) Yeah, as a four-year-old or as a toddler, you don't really know what this is. You just know you want more of it. And whether or not this has been abuse-related, because I was sexually abused for a long time in my life, and even if it is, or even if I have mommy or daddy issues or whatever it is, I know that as an adult, I can go seek help if I need to for this, but this is just part of my story. And I didn't really get into wanting to be submissive until I read a Harry Potter fan fiction in college, because that's what you do in college. You don't study, you procrastinate, right? So I read this fan fiction where Hermione became a submissive to Snape. And I've always loved Hermione and I've loved Snape. And the fact that Hermione was such a powerful, strong, bright witch The fact that she could submit and surrender the way that she did, it really spoke to me. And that author that wrote that fanfiction lived a real DS relationship herself, so it wasn't just fanfiction like Fifty Shades of Grey started out as. So, yeah, that's, like, my story in a nutshell. When I discovered that I was submissive and that I really wanted to submit and surrender, this was something that I had to do research on. And, of course ambivalence is like my middle name, I was also taking a feminist studies 101 class at the time. So I'm like, oh my gosh, the guilt is strong. Here I am learning about all the things that these feminists have done to give me the freedoms that I have today. And yet all I wanna do is like, fall on my knees and submit and surrender. And so I felt really guilty and I didn't think that I could call myself a feminist until I realized that, to me, feminism was the right to choose my own path. So I chose to be strong, I also chose to submit, and I chose to just be me. So that's pretty much my story in a nutshell. And going into the kink community here in the Portland area, so I live in Portland, Oregon, that opened my eyes and helped me make so many friends and people who understood me to... Just be me, to be seen for every facet that I am, because to me, kink should add to your identity, never subtract. So you can't be kinky or this, because to me, that just would suck. So that's why I'm kinky and submissive and feminist.
0: Yeah. And it also works in your business. It's this really cool example for how you do one thing is how you do everything, right?
1: This phase that I'm at in my entrepreneurial career has been very, very healing because... My mission with both those businesses, whether or not I'm helping somebody explore and shed the shame for the first time because they found submission through Fifty Shades of Grey or someone's business back end is a hot mess because they are a chaotic creative. It's like I help them thrive as them.
0: It's like you don't need to change who you are. We just need to find solutions that fit you. I'm very curious to know how were you able to get through that guilt? Of being a feminist, and you know, again, like, was it just understanding what feminism was and that it allowed for you the freedom to choose how you want to be, or was there more to it than just having that understanding that helped you get through the guilt?
1: It took over a year, to be honest. So, it took over a year to really figure out how to reconcile everything because I felt really guilty. I also felt really embarrassed because you have a lot of these people wearing proud feminist shirts, and I'm like, I swear, I feel like one, but I also want to do this, I also want to submit, and I also want to have someone else lead at times, so I think it just got to the point where something just broke, or rather something just clicked, I can't remember the time, but I'm just like, you know what, I can't live life like this, because being kinky is who I am. It's, it's a part of my sexuality. It's like saying when you are gay or lesbian, you're just born this way. And I feel like I was born kinky, honestly, because to discover it at, it, at such a young age, there has to have been something in my life that dictated this. So it's like this part of me is never going to go away. And yet, I also know that I am a strong proponent for helping other women thrive. So it's like, you know what? Why don't I redefine what feminism means to me? So I sat with it for a good week. Yeah. I went over all my books, went over all the notes that I took, and I just took pieces from what I've learned, and I came up with that definition myself. Okay. The freedom to choose her own path.
0: Got it. Now, when you were going through this healing process and learning and understanding and defining it for yourself, were you involved in kink or were you, or was the guilt too strong where you were like, oh, I really want to, but no. Or were you in it and feeling guilty like during scenes?
1: Oh no, this is where compartmentalizing comes in real nicely. It took me exploring kink to really help me shape my definition of feminism because I'm like, I can't choose between the two. So that word choice comes in so much so because i was exposed to kink because i had so many scenes and people that i experimented with it's like i just can't choose between the two so that's why i'm like why can't i choose both why can't i have my cake and also eat it too
0: i say the same thing i don't understand that statement why have cake if you can't eat it you know you finally get through it you're at a point where you realize okay you're kinky now you knew that you enjoyed the submissive element of being kinky how do you Begin to look for the kinds of relationships, play partners. How do you communicate that to others, especially if you're looking for someone to interact with?
1: Yeah, so there's different routes in which you can take. Um, one example would be you're already in a committed relationship, whether with a partner or your partner's monopoly
0: Monopoly. (laughs) Hey, I'm in a monopoly
1: relationship, so I'm more monogamous leaning,
0: whereas my partner is more poly leaning. Oh no, I mean like if you spell it out, it says monopoly. I know. It's great. It's it's something
1: that I think about, and I'm like, hey, monopoly. But it's a game I don't enjoy playing because I'm too competitive. (laughs) No, so if you are in already a committed relationship, that kind of is easier to deal with in a way because you already have a partner there somebody that you can speak to. Hopefully this is the person that you trust with your life and can be really open and honest to. But helping people talk about kink for the first time to partners that may have no idea what's going on can be a little jarring, right? Because they might think, oh, am I not doing enough for this relationship? Is this relationship going to end because this person's like saying they want to dominate me in bed or submit to me in bed? So there's one avenue. And then the other, the way that I came into it, I found this website. It's essentially the kinksters Facebook, if you will. It's called FetLife. And so FetLife is not a dating site. At least in my humble opinion, don't use it as a dating site because no. It's just you're setting yourself up to be a prey. And I use it more as an event finding site. There's lots of events around play parties public parties, get togethers, and I loved that somebody suggested that I go to a munch first before going to any play party, and a munch is essentially a kinky meetup in a bar or a restaurant, hence munch, where you just get to meet your fellow kinksters, and it's a very low pressure, low key setting, everybody's in their normal outfits, like a lot of people come from work and go straight to the munch, I've done that a lot. Right. So, but you just build community. You build trust. And so then when you go to those play parties and you actually see people, you know, it makes you feel safe. And if something does go awry, you know, there are people you could like easily run to who would protect you without any question.
0: Hmm. So there's almost like this uh, safe gateway into it, just Being able to ease into it by being around people in something that we're comfortable with. Everyone's comfortable going to a happy hour. Yeah, it's challenging to meet strangers, but if you can find events where there's that common interest and get there in front of people who are in a safe space, public, and you're just able to interact with people, it makes walking into the, what's the real event called? Do we call it the real event or?
1: You can call it a play party, a dungeon party, a
0: party. Dungeon party sounds so cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, it makes getting there uh a lot easier. So, how do you know if you think you're comfortable with something? Let's say you think you're comfortable being tied up and it's hot to you to watch other people be tied up. And then you show up at one of these dungeon parties, you're like, hey, tie me up. And then you lose your shit when the shackles come on. Like, how do you begin to deal with that? I'm sure there are safe words and things like that that just completely end the scene right then and there. But psychologically, do, have you ever encountered someone who thought they were kinky or into BDSM, but they actually weren't?
1: Yes, totally. That happens all the time. And so depending on how experienced you are as a kinkster, so when I say experienced, meaning you've had the experience of either doing or getting the thing done to yourself where you know how you'll react, like kink brings out a lot of triggers because to me, when you are practicing BDSM like your logic kind of falls away and your lizard primal brain like takes over that's the feelings that's the the need to have sex and reproduce because that's what we were bred to do right so it's like you become very vulnerable especially like me I mean I love getting tied up bondage to me is a sense of freedom I don't have to think if I'm doing something right or not I just am there because like a part of my baggage is like Oh, am I pleasuring my partner enough or am I reciprocating enough? Am I doing enough? And so then that takes me out of the moment and into my head. So it goes from heart to head and that's when that's bad, right? So then when I'm tied up, I I can't do anything. So I'm just like, I get to enjoy the moment. So there's freedom in bondage. There's freedom in submission. So a part of that is like, I have protocols that I work within. So I don't, so I know when I'm doing things right or wrong. Yeah. And it just is a great feeling sometimes where I don't have to like think 10 steps ahead because that's what I do in my daily life. As a business owner, I think like 20, 30 steps ahead. But to go back to your to your question, it's like there are negotiations that happen before play. And to me, there's a phrase called pickup play where you negotiate kind of quickly on at the play party most of the play that happens if you're new i would recommend negotiating before you get into that situation meet for coffee because there's nothing like negotiating boundaries and safe limits over coffee at a coffee shop whereas everyone around you could easily listen in so there's a lot of negotiation that should happen like you can never over negotiate you can never over communicate like those things are so important honesty and communication go so far in keeping you and everyone else safe. So that's where you talk and you establish like safe words and hard and soft limits using like green, yellow, and red. And, like, if you call red, everything stops. But if you call yellow, it's like, Hey, something, maybe just, I just need to check it hmm. or stop what you're doing, but start something else. Cause I can't, my butt can't take it anymore or something. So there's always ways to communicate. That and if you're gagged and you can't speak, then you talk about ways to communicate to your person what is considered yellow, what is considered red.
0: Hmm. So like holding, dropping something, or absolutely clenching. I guess. Well, I don't know. Clenching seems like a natural reaction. I don't.
1: Like so, there's so many different ways, but yeah, holding onto something and then dropping it that could be a way of saying yellow or red. Got it. Or if you're gagged, you can. Because saying uh uh-uh or saying no, no is not a safe word because when I say no, it means I want it to happen more. There's just, you know, you just have to come up with creative ways that both parties can.
0: You said something interesting earlier about uh, just feeling this whole feeling of free expression. I hear it repeatedly on a podcast that I listen to about how there's a, a certain healing power in being able to express your true, authentic self. And in some conversations that I've had with past guests, they talk about healing from sexual trauma through kink and BDSM. And so for is this something that you would encourage someone to look into? Or are there things that they may want to go through um, before getting involved with kink um, in order to help them with their own healing process from any sort of sexual trauma they may have?
1: So I'm not a licensed practitioner or anything in terms of like being a psychologist or a doctor. I'm just a kinky ass entrepreneur, but based on the experiences that I've had and based on the experiences that I've had other people talk about sometimes going and quote unquote reliving that trauma, but in a very, very safe, protected, and even light way goes a long ways. Like I was sexually molested and abused for over 10 years. And so Even though I was pinned down against my will back then, it's like there's something powerful and different about doing it with somebody that you trust. And even if it's just on the minor side, like pinning down your arms, it's not like they have to go 100% in. And for me, for me to be able to know that I can call my safe word and have it stop was very, very empowering and liberating. And I've had friends tell me that they've started healing from their sexual abuse past, like they were raped, but they, they love engaging in what they call consensual non-consent. So essentially, essentially fantasy rape play and to them knowing that they can stop at any time has helped them rewrite their story in a much more powerful way. But again, I am not a practitioner or anything like that, that's licensed. It's just find things that you feel are weighing you down. So like your baggage whether it be being called a certain term and that's triggering and you want to get over that or being touched in a certain spot. I mean, this, these, this is where BDSM gets really real and can get really dangerous because you are so fucking vulnerable. So it's just take it at your own pace mm-hmm. and talk to a doctor about it, especially as a therapist, even if they may not be practiced in BDSM, it's like they can help you work through that. Cause that's what my therapist does. She's not kinky. At least I don't think she is, but I talked to her all the time about my kink stuff and I'm like X and Y and X and Y. And she's like, Oh, so this is where she gave me the insight that she's like, perhaps this is where freedom comes in from bondage. You know, like they have insights that I could never think about because they're trained to do this.
0: communicating expectations negotiations are very very important and I'll give a good example I was with someone who now that I have the terminology I understand that this was kinky and this was like consensual non-consent play and I didn't know that that's what she was doing because I also have herpes and she didn't have herpes so like We'd be having sex. She'd be like, no. And I'm like, oh, well, this is about herpes. And she's like, no, that doesn't mean stop. And I was so confused by what was going on. She wanted me to pin her down and be forceful. And eventually that was communicated. But it was really awkward for me and very like hard for me to even stay hard because I'm like, am I raping you? What's happening? And so I say that to say this. The negotiations beforehand are all very important. I also want to throw in like the STI note. When is that conversation? Is that coming in along with the negotiations or is it something that should come up before negotiations or when?
1: So I personally tested positive for HSV one and I, the day that I found out, I like bawled. Like I thought the world had ended. I'm like, now I'm this like diseased person. And it just so happened that I was brand new like a month and if even that with my now current partner and I'm like, I just met the man of my dreams. He's the master, the dominant that I've been looking for for over 10 years. He's like that dominant that I read in that Harry Potter fan fiction that I manifested. It just took nine years to fucking get here. But and now it, he, it could possibly be over because I have to tell him that I have tested positive for an STI because we wanted to go condom less after like, I don't know, maybe three weeks or a month. So we both agreed to get tested. And the reason why I freaked out so badly was because I have never had a breakout. I have never had any indication that I had HSV-1. And I had a lot of friends tell me that like, you know what, even if you may have it, it, you could have tested false positively for it or not, but whatever it is, it's like I think had I had cold sores or something I probably would have been less freaked out but he took it really well. I mean, he he was just like, "Okay, next. Now you're part of the 80% of the population. You're not special anymore." I'm like, "God damn it." Okay. You know, so he played it off really nicely and because he's just not the type of person that would run simply because I tested positive for something. But in terms of talking about your STIs and stuff, uh, BDSM and kink generally doesn't have to be sexual. To me, it's a mindset. So it's at your discretion because I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. But if you are going to get sexual or if there is a need for you to be open about testing positive for something, I think that responsibility is on you. Not everybody knows I have HSP1, but that's also because if I play with play partners, I'm getting tied up. I'm getting suspended in rope, or I'm taking a flogging. And to me, I don't need to disclose that. Even if I needed to, I would, but these are friends that I know really well. And if I needed to disclose, that would be something that I would do. And I don't know how else to put it other than that, because to me, kink is not all about the sexual part. And if I am in any way, shape or form, going to put someone else in danger because of my results, then of course I would disclose that.
0: Thank you for sharing that, because not a lot of people would say that. And what we're saying here is essentially that because not all BDSM play is necessary, we're saying that it depends. So if this is going to be a situation where there's no sexual genital contact, or there's no risk of exposure to the area, then maybe you consider the idea of not needing to disclose. But if you're going to put a person at risk, then do so.
1: Yeah, there we go. You said so much (laughs) better and quickly than I did. Because it's really hard, because some people say that that's irresponsible, but I'm just like, look, if you have... It's just like your blood type. You don't walk around telling everybody your blood type. Yeah. Unless you need to. And so to me, it's like your life you get to choose how you disclose that information because I feel like that's part of respecting you as a person
0: yes alright now let's get back to a lighter note now talk to me about the other end we talk a lot about your submissiveness is it submissiveness or is there another word your submission <laughs>
1: I mean, whatever you can say that the S side or the S type, oh, yeah. whatever you want
0: alright I'm learning I'm learning so now what about the D side? Talk to me about the D side.
1: Okay, so, a lot of people that I've talked to about exploring kink, or especially the dominant side, they the first thing they bring up is like, what if I become that abusive asshole? Yeah, I see you raising your hand. Because it's, it's true, like, especially the sadists, people who get off on giving pain, it's like, They don't want to be seen as somebody who's an abusive father. They don't want to be seen as somebody who beats their partner. But the difference between kink and abuse is that there is consent. So there's a lot of baggage to let go of on both ends. Like BDSM is this experience about learning to just be with yourself and to explore you for all that you are. And your darker side may or may not come up like, the sadist side, or the dominant side, or to want to have dominion over somebody, and that can come with a lot of baggage itself, especially if, like, you're a person who was raised, like, I'm not trying to be gendered here, but, like, an example, as I know, of a man who was raised in a family of really strong women. He had no father figure because the dad left, so his mom and his mom's sisters essentially raised him, so it's, like, he came to me saying i'm really really pussy whipped but i have this need to want to explore dominance so these are his words not mine and it's just a matter of finding a way to, to communicate your needs or to explore like what like what turns you on like to me arousal is a really big indication even though it's not sex related of what you want
0: And what does that look like mentally? Let's use your relationship, for example. How is your master utilizing his dominance?
1: So he basically wants to be in charge in every aspect possible. So to him, he's like, even though I'm in charge at work, I still want to be in charge of my household, of you. And it makes me feel good. That's it. And whether or not this was something that he didn't have as a kid, because I also have also had experiences of clients who said that they had no control whatsoever. So dominance is something that was nurtured rather than in nature. It's the need to lead the need to have control. And so whether that is something as small as always ordering for your partner, or your submissive to the point of managing their finances, you know, everybody to each their own, it's that need for control. It's that need to have that control so that you can lead.
0: Yeah. And so what separates this, again, going back, what separates this uh, need for control between being abusive and kinky is the consent there.
1: Yes. So I have consented to a life of essentially non-consent which is the difference between a submissive and a slave to me but that could be a different you know the difference between a submissive and slave to you could be totally different so i'm just wanting to drill down that everybody has their own definition but to me and to my partner curtis it's subs can negotiate slaves cannot and so what i mean by that is i've consented once to this life of non-consent so say we're wanting to decide where we want to go on vacation. I'm just taking something as like vanilla as possible with air quotes. I can say where I want to go. Like, I would love to go here. I would love to go to Hawaii. I'd love to go to Fiji, France, whatever. But at the end of the day, he gets to decide where we go. Now, given that we are in the 21st century and life happens, of course, there are times when I'm just like, I can't do this. I'm literally throwing up or my dog has eaten a whole bunch of chocolate and we need to like suspend things and I need to just do what I need to do to take care of this household. Right. So he understands that. So for me to consent to a life of non-consent required so much vetting on my part. We both vetted each other to make sure that this was exactly what we wanted, to make sure that he was worthy of my submission. So I, I never kneel beneath him. I kneel before him. As in a way, my equal. I just trust him as the CEO of our relationship to lead the way, and I'm the COO that makes shit happen.
0: Yeah. I love that you said you're, uh, that he is deserving of you because we don't often look at ourselves that way. We don't look at other people as, you know, oh, do you, do you deserve this? And it's not even like a, a teasing way or a dominant subway, it's a, a self worth way. I have this much self-value and these are the standards that I have for myself and for others who are going to come into my life and be able to participate in some of this awesomeness.
1: And so here's another example. Um, like say if a, so when we talk about negotiating, you can negotiate one way of life and it could, it could be something as simple and not um, easy as like food, or we can talk about like relationships. So, Curtis is poly and I could say as a submissive, because I could could keep negotiating, I'm like, maybe I don't want you to be poly. Not to say that that is healthy or anything I would ever do because that's just who he is because that would be terrible of me. But as a submissive, you could say that. I don't want you to be poly, I wanna renegotiate this. I just want you to be monogamous to me. Whereas in the MS dynamic, there's no negotiating that I can make it known and you be like, Oh, maybe I don't enjoy you being poly cause X, Y, Z. But you see that there's a difference between able to negotiate and not. So, and not to say that I haven't been able to negotiate because he values my life and my happiness and he's an adult. We're responsible adults. If negotiations need to happen, like, Oh, I, Yes, I consent to kneeling for you for 10 minutes a day, but then I suddenly am developing arthritis or I broke my knee because I played tennis or something like that. You know, things get negotiated that way. If he was to say no, then I'd be like, goodbye.
0: Okay. All right, so you can also leave the relationship. You consent to a life of non-consent until you no longer consent to that.
1: Yes, so I'm wearing a collar right now, and I don't know if you can see it. I have to get her on my microphone. But so... He doesn't decide when this comes off. I do. And if this comes off, it would signify the end of the relationship.
0: Uh-huh. Well, wait, do you, do you take it off for any reason at all? Like showering or anything or when you change?
1: Yeah, so I take it off once a month to clean it. So he has the key. So he unlocks it and I clean it. And then the other time was when he was trying to fix something on it or... Oh, or this most recent example, I had to have a surgical procedure done, and they're like no jewelry. But I'm like, what about my nipple piercings? Like, you can keep those. I'm like, okay, great. But you have to take off your necklace. Like, okay, fine. Yeah. (laughs) Because they had to put a lot of things around uh, my heart because I was having I had a colonoscopy, and uh, they're just like, we have to put things around your chest. So your nipple piercings can stay, but the necklace has to go just in case.
0: Okay. (laughs) I'm like. Fine. Yeah. All right. Now this, this clears things up for me to understand just how mental it is because there that object has its significance to know, okay, we're, we're, we're coming out of this scene. This is what's real. And if this comes off, like we're done and are there other, um, instances where there's, uh, I guess snaps back into reality from the roles
1: so for us, this is our reality. It's so ingrained into our relationship that it looks like it looks perfectly normal. What? I don't know how to say it other than well, like.
0: I would like to stop using the word normal and okay. use real. So it just looks real and it looks natural. It's just like, oh. It's that, natural. Okay.
1: Exactly. So I, in our day to day life, like I don't wear leathers. I don't wear nylons or not nylons, latex, like, I'm not in any type of BDSM gear, sometimes I'm shackled to the bed, sometimes I'm not, but he knows I got shit to do for my business, so that's not exactly happening, but it's, like, it's so natural to the point where if you and I were to meet for coffee, like, if you and your partner were to meet Curtis and I, it would just look so natural, but within us, if you were to pay attention or know what to look for, you would see that I always sit to his left-hand side. I'm always the one making sure his coffee and creamer are the way that he wants to. I lay a napkin on his left lap before food gets served. I don't take my first bite until he takes his first bite. But it's like, all this is so natural because it's just easy for the both of us. This is what we both want. It doesn't seem unnatural. And we have protocol around my parents as well. Like my mom knows I'm kinky, but she doesn't, probably doesn't really know what that means. But it's just like, I do the same thing. And sometimes like if I happen to sit across from him, instead of next to him, he will only put his own napkin on his lap. Right. So it's not like life doesn't continue. He's mm-hmm. smart that way. You know, we're adults, we can adjust. But at the end of the day, creating a dynamic for you and your partner, whether it be S&M or dominance and submission, it's about figuring out what makes you both happy. So like, I'm actually writing a book about this soon, so I'm excited to pursue this and talk about this all the time. But it's like, find out what makes you happy in terms of being on the dominance or submission side. So for you, if it's on the dominant side, it's like, find out what makes you happy. Find out what makes you fucking turned on. And then have your partner do the same if she wants to explore submission. Journaling is your best friend because if you're able to communicate your thoughts into words, those words can easily be communicated to your
0: partner verbally you said use your arousal as a tool as well so for maybe two or three weeks now I think I've not watched porn and um, I was listening to a podcast they were like try switching things up and so I do things a little bit different I just use my imagination and just focusing on my breathing and just masturbating barehanded with of course coconut oil there are thoughts that come up and I'm like where the fuck is this coming from and it would just be little things like most recently like having a partner tied up and that got me off so intensely. Another time, it was like reliving moments that I thought I didn't enjoy, but I got off to those. So I'm aroused to what I told you before. Um, I had that partner who we eventually talked about her consenting to not consent. And while it was uncomfortable because I didn't know what was happening, it became comfortable. And then in that moment, it was like I was reliving that. And then it's like, oh, these are the directions that I'm headed in terms of what really turns me on.
1: And especially for the submissives, this is not something that I realized, but I'm very service oriented. Like I love doing things for people. Now it's not my love language, but apparently that's how I show love. But it's like, and I wish, and I'm bringing this up because I wish this was something that I knew because I got into the kink scene to be super honest was to get my sexual fantasies fulfilled. But then afterwards, I was like, I hope this wasn't it, because this has been something I've been wanting to do for over 10 years. And then I realized that because kink is a mindset, at least that's how I personally see it, you get out what you put in. And for me, I'm the type of person that likes to go deep, like surface level, sexual gratification, that's easy. But then there's so much more underneath. And so that's to me where service submission comes in, like, handing Curtis his coffee held in a very specific way, like with my palm up like a table and having the cuff on my palm and having either his tumbler lit part facing him or his mug handle specifically to whatever hand that he's going to hold it on. It's like little things like this, like doing things, um, making the bed and then putting a card on the bed that says, thanks for letting me serve you. Like little things like that get my mind, like mindgasm going, so, like, it fulfills me and arouses me that way, too. So I think that's why Curtis is such a great partner for me is because acts of service is his love language, like, times a gazillion. And so it's, like, we just find ways to make our relationship really fulfilling. And you don't have to do this 100% like us. We're pretty super. We're super extreme in a way because we do this 24-7, and it's so natural for us. But even if this is just, like, 10% for you, start out in the bedroom. Or maybe it's, like... You wanting to order food for your partner, right? Something so little, or you would like your coffee served a certain way, or you want to do things like you want to pick out her clothes for the day, whatever it is that makes you both fulfilled and happy, go for it. Whether it's 10% of the time or a hundred percent like us, you do you.
0: Yeah, and this is is a lot of this comes full circle. You said that kink added to your life; it didn't take anything. You were already this kind of person, and he was already this kind of person, and now, you know, bringing in the kink element just allows for you to have those mindgasms times a trillion because it just has this uh, this ongoing effect. Like you two work well together naturally.
1: Yeah. We just fit, and it's like the best way that I can describe it. Like he kinks the way I kink. We have the same views in life. We share a lot of the same core value ways. So it it just works, and I'm very lucky to have this. But I think all of this was inside of me. Just took somebody to bring it out, and it just makes me feel super confident that this is just who I am, and I've and what I try to do as my mission statement for people which is to help people strip themselves bare of like the limiting beliefs that guilt the expectations that do not serve them so that they can just thrive unapologetically exactly as they are because I always feel like I wasn't told I was told that I wasn't good enough or x enough you're not x enough not skinny enough good enough tall enough thin enough whatever it was it's like well you are enough exactly as you are and so it's just like how do we make you more of you And so that's what I do in my life and out of my life. When I say out of my life, like in my business.
0: (laughs) Someone in a relationship has a desire to explore BDSM or some sort of a kink. How do they bring this up to their partner? And if their partner appears resistant to it, then is that person just not for them? Or are there ways to approach that?
1: So I'll answer the second part first. Like I said earlier, it can be really jarring. To think that, hey, maybe I'm not enough. I'm not giving my partner enough because he or she wants to explore this. And there are lots of success stories where people who don't want the same thing as you do, allow their partner, like after talking and negotiating, like to go out and seek that. Because like, if you really loved your partner, you would want them to be happy. And if that's not something that you can provide nor want to provide, why should you stop them from seeking that out? So it's a lot about communication. And then if they flat out don't want to explore this and don't want you to explore this, then it really sucks. Yes. So then now the ball is in your court. What do you do? Do you continue to maybe not explore this or do you try bringing it up again later? But ultimately, you have one life to live, so you have to decide what to do with this information. And I've had people leave their partners because this is something that they've wanted but just didn't know how to communicate for over 10 years, and they still can't communicate it because their partner is just happy the way it is, their other partner. So they've left. And bringing it up to your partner, that's... So my favorite way is to always do it from a place of... Love language focus. So whatever your love language is and how you feel loved, I feel like that's how the com- conversations should start. And there shouldn't be any alcohol involved because it doesn't help you think clearly. No, people are like, let me just get a glass of wine, get the liquid courage to do this. And I'm like, no, because you're I'm going to have this conversation again, and when you're sober, it's gonna suck even more. So it's like you love this person. I mean, you're in a relationship for a reason. You should be able to bring this up in a way that just makes sense, but in a way that also shows them that they've not done anything wrong or they're not good enough. It's just, this is something that you want to explore. And if you don't want to communicate it, you can say like, Hey, so I read this book, 50 shades of gray, or I, you want to watch 50 shades of gray together. And even though 50 shades of gray is not my cup of tea necessarily for what's, Right, and how to kink in the right way because it's actually very, very abusive and not done correctly. Because there's no really one true way to do kink, but there's one safe way, and that that to me is important. Safe, do it safe, and do it in a healthy way. And Fifty Shades of Grey doesn't really show that. However, I'm not here to shit on your gateway to kink. So if you've discovered kink via Fifty Shades of Grey or Disney, that's awesome. Or Disney. (laughs) How can we help you find your path that makes it fulfilling for you? So just have a conversation, have it over dinner, have it before sex. Hey, I would really like to try something. I would really like to pin you down. And sometimes just talking about it sparks that curiosity. Like say if somebody was sexually abused, like I was, at first I might be like, what the fuck you want to have me relive my trauma again, but then talking about it or whispering it or just whatever it is that makes you feel connected sometimes was like, Oh, maybe this isn't so bad because at the end of the day I'm with somebody that I really love, but everybody's story is different. Everybody's situation is different. So just to me, I'm just like, show up, be raw, be natural about it because that's all you can be and if that person
0: can't accept you for that, then there's got to be a different conversation to be had. Mic drop. Oh, Veronica, is there anything that we haven't asked you that you wanted to be sure to get out other than, you know, how people can find you and how they can work with you?
1: There's a lot of stereotypes around kink and submission. And... At the end of the day, if you're happy, if you're not hurting anybody, if you're not hurting yourself unconsensually or hurting other people unconsensually, or you're not causing havoc or ruining their lives, it's like, do you. If you're not breaking any laws and the other people that you're engaging with are fine with it, then you have my permission to continue. So that's pretty much the one thing that I wish people would have said and told me. In addition to all the things that I've discovered, it's like, if you're not breaking any laws, if you're, everyone's happy, just keep doing what you're doing until it doesn't work anymore. Then we all communicate again. So communication, 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 and, um, I'll give you the links to my website. So you can find me at desireslakebear.com, which is my kink 101 website. And I also have a YouTube channel tied to that. So you can find me on YouTube as well. And, I'm also getting ready to write that how to explore dominance and submission for beginners book so that at the end of the day, you'll have created like a unique roadmap and guide that's fulfilling for both you and your partner or partners involved. And so it's going to be like stories of my stories, uh, examples, worksheets, journal prompts, exercises, like you get to actually fill things out. Like, I'm going to be so excited when, like, the dominant can fill out his side or her side, and then their partner can fill out the submission side. And they both, like, compare and, like, talk about it. Be like, oh, this works, but this doesn't because of X, Y, Z. So, I'll give you the link for people to sign up for that wait list if they're interested in following my journey and buying that book uh, when it comes out.
0: Exciting. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. This concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. If you liked it, please rate, review, subscribe to, share this podcast. I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, at H on my chest. Or you can contact me through the website now, spfpp.org. That's just somethingpositiveforpositivepeople.org. And we use the... um, acronym, alliteration, whatever it is, where you only use the first letter of each word in something positive for positive people, and then .org. So spfpp.org. When you're ready and you feel like you do want to consider exploring a dominant, submissive dynamic in your relationship, head over to desireslaidbear.com, and you can get on the waiting list for Veronica's book, in order to get to a place where you're more comfortable exploring the kink dynamics of dominant and submissive and begin to understand it better like I did. Now, if you're someone who's more advanced, maybe you want to be able to have this as a resource to communicate it to a new submissive or communicate it to a new dom um, who may be Becoming introduced into the space And once you get that taken care of Head over to Dating Positives And set your mood for flirty And get on there and begin Looking for your dom or looking for Your sub and start having fun Conversations there and Whatever you do, make sure you do it safely now <laughs> So I hope everyone Has fun, I hope you really enjoyed that Episode, I had a lot of fun Talking to Veronica, we brought up some Things that I've been able to Sit with and just internally Lies and be able to deal with on my own. So if you listened and you heard that, like that was brand new to me, brand new revelation. So I got some things to work on myself and I'm looking forward to the growth that's going to come out of it till next time. Stay sex positive.